0: Matthew. In uh, 1932, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in his first of what would be four inaugural, inaugural addresses, famously said, Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which, terrify, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Now FDR gave this speech as the nation was gridlocked, was trapped in what history has called the Great Depression. His point was that the only thing keeping America back from a full economic recovery was fear, just irrational, um, paralyzing, unreasoning, unjustified fear. And so his message was, don't be afraid. I'm sure it had, it was effective and it had good meaning at the time, but when I think of my fears, when I think of the fears that I have, when I look at the catalog of fears that I'm tempted by, I need something more than just don't be afraid. I need something more than that. I I need to have a good reason. I need... Someone, not just to say, "Hey, don't be afraid." I need a reason not to fear. Otherwise, it's just happy thoughts. Happy thoughts and mere optimism does nothing to put the kind of fears that I face to flight. I don't know about you, but I have my share of fears. If you don't, you're probably young. Life will teach you that there is that we ha- we will work, we will have to fight with fear. And so today we're going to talk about something that helps me, and I hope will help you, put your fears to flight. We're going to talk about how Jesus, by defeating death, obliterates once and for all any reason to fear. We're going to talk today about how Jesus, in defeating death, obliterates all reason to fear. The open tomb gives us reason not to be afraid this morning. We're going to see it in two ways in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, follow along as I read. Verse 1 says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. And great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we open your word. We open your word and ask us, and and we would ask that you would pierce our hearts. Lord, what we don't need is just to learn a thing or two this morning. What we need is to hear your voice, to know your presence, and to be comforted by the empty tomb. I pray that would be the effect for all of us. At The end of this sermon, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, by defeating death, obliterates all reason to fear. Now, you might be here and have questions about whether or not the resurrection actually happened. And we're not going to spend much time, if any time, on that question, those, though those are legitimate questions. In fact, we have a pamphlet, a, a document for you at the help desk where you can read all the common objections and why we believe. Good history and, and evidence says that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And if you have questions, my email is listed on that pamphlet, and you can email me directly and ask any questions you might have. We're going to instead talk today how the empty tomb benefits us. There are two reasons, two ways that we see in this passage that we don't have to fear. Jesus, by defeating death, obliterates all reason for us to fear. The first reason is this. Jesus always does what he says. Jesus always does what he says. We see this in verses 1 through 7. Early Sunday morning, both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who's the mother of Joseph, goes to the tomb. Now, these two dear ladies exhibited colossal courage to return to this tomb. They knew it was the right tomb because they had watched Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus and go to this exact tomb. They went there by themselves after Jesus died, and Joseph put him in this tomb. After they left, soldiers came to guard this tomb, and it was sealed with wax, and a guard was set to watch over what they thought was Jesus' final resting place. And these two brave, sweet Marys brought spices in the hopes of tending to Jesus' body that was hastily laid into the tomb on Friday just before sunset. Now, they arrived and got much more than they bargained for. They see an angel. Now, the stone that was originally uh, originally designed to keep grave robbers out was now repurposed and being used as a chair for This individual that we read about in verse 3. His appearance, this is the angel, was like lightning. (laughs) You see lightning in the sky? If you ever looked up, bam, see lightning in the sky. It goes away, but you close your eyes and it's still there. That's what this is like. This gentleman, whoever he is, his appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This is some thick irony here. These strong, robust, able, best of the best guards who are supposed to have an easy job of guarding a dead man? Well, now they're rendered like dead men. And and what are they trying to do? They're trying to keep Jesus in his tomb, and that did not happen. No power can keep Jesus in his tomb. He arose from the dead and these women, they see this scene, and they did not expect it. And the angel, the very first thing out of his mouth is this, do, verse 5, do not be afraid. Now, in the original, it literally says, you both do not be afraid. Now, the implication is this, the angel's contrasting the two Marys and then the guards. So, the two Marys are there with this guy in lightning clothes, and they're like, what? And so, They're afraid, and then the two guards, or the the guards, however many they are, they're acting like dead men on the ground. And the angel says, you, you have no reason to be afraid. They, they do. I have bad intentions toward them. I am not happy with them. These people, they should be acting like they deserve to be dead, but they're only just stupefied because they don't know what to do with me because I'm wearing these shiny clothes. And so that's the idea here. And the angel goes on to say, For you, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, the angel says. Now, then he throws in these three little words that we can really, that we can just skip over because, you know, when you read the Bible, you read it fast, and sometimes you just skip over little, little small words and don't think they mean very much. But we read this, As he said. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said. Why do they not need to be afraid? Because Jesus always does what he says. Jesus said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. And when he said something, now the, the, the disciples, they didn't have any category for what that meant, and so they weren't carrying that in their mind, probably They have no idea because there had been no one who had ever died and come back to an an indestructible life. Sure, there were people that came back, but then they would die later. But this is different. Jesus said, I will die and I will rise again. He said this four times in the book of Matthew. We read one in chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now though he talked about it none of his followers understood what he meant. Now this rising business is not just like you know just a happy kind of thought. It's not like the angel said, "Listen, you guys don't be afraid because wherever you go Jesus is right there with you." I mean that's lunacy and not helpful. They don't say, hey, listen, you still have the memories you had with Jesus. Remember those times. He doesn't say, lift the cold, frosty one to Jesus and say, it was a good run. He doesn't say any of those things. What does he say? He is not here. He has risen. This means that Jesus, our Jesus, if you're a Christian, has physically risen from the dead. His body is not a spiritual resurrection where he doesn't take on flesh. No, he took on flesh. He did exactly what he said he would do. He did it. This is what he did. You can trust. The the angel's saying, listen, Mary's, you can trust Jesus. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And you know what? We can too. And you know the other thing, the fascinating thing is in verse 6. The angel says, "Marys, let me show you. Look at here. He says, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. They go in, and they see that there is no Jesus there. You see, the, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let these ladies in. Jesus didn't need that, that stone to be rolled away. He can walk through walls, we'll find out later. He can walk through stone. The angel wants these ladies to see you have, you have reason to hope and not be afraid. Jesus is true to his word. Jesus is true to his word. That's the same message for us today. We have the same reason not to fear. We have the same reason to heed the message of the angel. When the angel says, do not be afraid, we do not have to be afraid either. Why? Because we can take Jesus at his word as well. He always does what he says he's going to do. Always. Now, I don't know about you, but let's think about this. If Jesus can do something as great as rising from the dead, something no one else had ever done, if he could not just predict that he would die and and somehow that he would die and then come back, if he could do that, he's somebody we should listen to. Though the darkness of death steamrolled him, death did not have the final word. In every other situation, with every other person, death always was able to still every tongue and quiet every mouth, each time, every time, but this one time, there's Jesus. And that time... Jesus came back. And the angel says, you don't have to be afraid. We can take Jesus at his word. Though death always claimed all its victims indiscriminately, the young and the old, men and women, good and evil, the noteworthy and the anonymous, the great, the small, the mighty, the weak, each time, every time, except this one time when Jesus died and he came back. You can take Jesus at his word. This monster, death, is mankind's oldest and fiercest enemy. No one has ever or could ever ever evade its clutches. No one could hide from its stare. Everyone was killed by death each time, every time, except this one time. There's this Jesus. Jesus killed death. And what does that mean? If he can rise from the dead, like he said, that means we can take him at his word, too. So why do you have reason not to fear this morning? If he can say, listen, I'm going to die and rise again, and that's probably the hardest thing that can be done, and he did it, we can go through this whole Bible, Christian, and find promises and say, because Jesus rose from the dead, I've got a treasure trove of promises I can look up here, and I can see that, you know what, if he's good, if he's true to his word in something like the resurrection, he's going to be true to his word in anything he tells me. Why? Because he's alive. Now, do you see that if Jesus was dead, those promises would mean nothing? It would mean nothing. Let's take a promise that all of us love if we're Christians, and many of us maybe have memorized. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, could we believe that message, that promise, that sentiment, if Jesus was still dead? No. No. We could not. We would be duty bound to read something like this. If Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our substitute, Jesus, our advocate, if He was still dead, we would have to say, That is a lie. Things do not work together for good. How do I know? Because there was no one like Jesus. He was the best, He was perfect, He was sinless, He was killed on trumped up charges. He was ferociously loyal to God. He always loved God. He loved to do his will. He loved to bring him glory. He was doggedly committed to doing the Father's will over and over and over again, and yet he died and he is still dead. So, do all things work together for good? No, they do not. But, if Jesus is alive, they do. For Christians, for Jesus, if Jesus is alive, they do. Now, We have to recognize this. We have to recognize this. There's promises like this that we have throughout the Bible. And we know that for for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, when the disciples stood there watching Jesus die, for those that got close enough to see, none of them said, ah, I see how this is going to end. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And then the church for ages on is going to celebrate his resurrection and sing songs like he's risen from the dead. No, they saw Jesus die and thought, this is about the most messed up thing in the world. There is no good that can come of this. And you know what? Sometimes when we face things in our lives, things that are frightening, frank, things that are scary, things that are tragic and catastrophic, As Christians, we can face those things and have those things happen to us and say, there is no way there's any good that can come from this. And you know what? It'll seem like that maybe for a while. But because we have Christ who has risen from the dead, because we have Jesus who has risen from the dead, from the dead, who has been crucified for our sins, and has risen from the dead, and who is at the, who is even now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us in heaven, we can know that no matter what our fears are, no matter what happens to us, even if the worst comes upon us, we can know that that does not thwart God's purposes for our lives, and that does not make it to where 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 things are all out of control. Now, we we might not be able to understand how how everything works together for good in this lifetime. He's not going to explain it to us. Do you know how he explains how things work together for good in our lives individually? He says, look at the empty tomb. He doesn't say, I promise I'll explain it in such a way that you'll get it in this lifetime, because you know what? We won't. The hardest things that happen to us, probably we won't understand this side of being with Jesus. But here's what we can understand today. No matter what we face, we do not face it alone. Our passage would direct us away from our fears and to this empty tomb. And to hear the voice of that angel, do not be afraid. You look for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. He always does what he says, always. So what reason, what's one reason that we have not to be afraid this morning? Jesus is alive, and he always does what he says, always. Read the Bible. Find promises. Own it and say, he always does what he says. This is his word. These promises are mine. I know that if he can rise from the dead, then he can keep a promise that I can find in here for me. He always does what he says, and we don't have to be afraid. That's the first reason that we don't have to be afraid. That's the first reason that Jesus, by defeating death, obliterates all fear. The second reason is this. No matter what, Christian, you are family. No matter what, Christian, you are family. And I'll show you what, that mean, what I'm talking about by that. This brave duo of Mary's walked up to the tomb slowly, but ran away to tell the news to the disciples. And along the way, they meet an old friend. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Now, this is a very normal greeting in the marketplace when people walk by each other they would just you know say greetings I mean it comes off a little stiff and and a little strange in English it would be the equivalent of somebody you running across somebody in the marketplace and you say hey what's up or like when I was in junior high and I was at the mall and I saw somebody I knew I went like this and my mom would say why didn't you say hi to him I did I went like this. It's Kind of like that. Jesus stands there and goes, what's up? And they, they fall on their face and respond in the only appropriate way, and they worship him. Jesus is God. Notice Jesus doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 only worship God. No, Jesus is God. That's another sermon. But if you have questions about who Jesus is, recognize he is God. Now, Jesus says something very similar to the ladies as his messenger with shiny clothes did. Jesus says in verse 10, what? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. (laughs) Now, what's remarkable about that sentence is that Jesus called those disciples my brothers. Now, if there was any crowd of people to disown, if you're coming from Jesus' perspective, it's those guys, those disciples. When last we're with them in Matthew, were they acting like his family? No. Were they sticking by him? No. Were they saying to the Romans, hey, he's with us. Whatever you do to him, you do to me too. No. Were they testifying on behalf of Jesus at his trial, saying this is a lie? No. Were they acting like brothers? No, they were acting like cowards. Remember the scenes that we saw at the Last Supper when Jesus was in the garden. He took his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. He took them there as he went to pray. What did they do? Pray along with him? Intercede for the hour? No. They fell asleep. They fell asleep as Jesus is weeping, as he's wailing, as he's sweating blood. They fall asleep and they catch their Z's. And then Jesus rouses them, and as they wipe their sleep out of their eyes, it's just in time to see a Roman detachment coming to arrest him under the cover of darkness. And do you remember what the disciples did? Matthew 26, 55, Jesus says to those coming to get him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Is that acting like brothers? No. And it got worse. When Jesus was put on that illegal nighttime trial, Peter mustered the nerve to go to the courtyard of the home that it was being carried out in. And we read this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were one, were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, certainly you two are one of of them or your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man. Peter curses himself to prove he does not know Jesus. And Jesus, what does Jesus refer to the disciples and Peter as? Those guys? Those cowards? Those traitors? No. My brothers. My brothers. See, if you're a Christian following Jesus, if you're a Christian following Jesus, you're a disciple just like they are. Were. Jesus considers you brothers and sisters, family. Now this doesn't mean. Don't misunderstand. It's not as if you can just say, hey, I believe in Jesus and live however you want. Do whatever you want. Drink to excess regularly. Lie, cheat, steal, be greedy, be perpetually bitter, angry, vindictive, live with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever you want and just say, Jesus, will take care of it. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about are disciples who want to please Jesus. Those of us who want to follow him. Like these disciples we read about in Matthew, we fail too. We fail too. Like these disciples, we're not very good disciples either. I know I'm not. I can say at one moment, and we can all say, I love Jesus. There's no one like him. And then dull our senses and doze off and fall asleep with leisure, school, work, politics some other pastime. Other times we can say, I'll go to Jesus all the way to the end and then the hardships of life press in. And we try to be more normal and we walk away. There may be other times where people people might start to think badly of you if you follow Jesus and you say I don't know him. As followers, we're like those disciples. See, you could be wondering, what would Jesus say to me? Don't wonder. Don't wonder. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. We don't have to go to Galilee, but one day we will see him. We will go to him, and we will be with him. And he will welcome us as his. Listen, he very well could have told the Marys, listen, I've got a message for those cowards. I'm coming. I'm indestructible. You tell Peter you better, he better watch his back most of all because I'm coming after him. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says. Do you see the other reason we don't need to be afraid this morning because the tomb is empty? It's because this Jesus loves without reproach. This Jesus loves imperfect followers, imperfect disciples like us. Now, it, would his love be worth anything if he was dead? No. Not a bit. Nothing. Would his commitment to us be worth anything? No. It'd be just good intentions. Would his heart toward us be worth anything? No. It would be just another frustrated plan by a good man. But what we must see is that Jesus is risen, and that makes all the difference. Jesus is alive, and he regards you, Christian, as his. And though you fail, though I fail, though we all fail, we can know that Jesus will not fail us How do we know this for sure? Because he's alive. And so when he says, I love you, guess what can't block his love for us? The tomb or the grave or death. When he says you're forgiven, death can't block that. When he says I'm committed to you, death is no impediment. Jesus is always on your side and he would not be if he still occupied a tomb. If his body was being was, was, was consumed by time in a tomb, we would have great reason to fear because we would be alone in the world. We could read about good intentions and sentiments of love, all these commitments that Jesus had, but in the end, that would be worth nothing. But our Jesus lives, and he has killed death. Death, my friends, is dead because Jesus is alive. He has bound himself to you, Christian. The same power that brought him back from the grip of death. That power he uses to hold on to you. So let me ask again, what then do we have to be afraid of? If you're a genuine Christian, can you... can, can Can you fail so badly that he won't welcome you back? No. What do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of? He's alive. You see, Jesus, by obliterating death, destroys all reason to fear. Jesus, by coming back to life, gets rid of all the reasons we have to fear. He always does what he says. He always does. And no matter what, we're family. if We're genuinely with him. And we don't have to be afraid. You see, our temptation this morning is to look at ourselves instead of the empty tomb. We can look at ourselves and ask, what if I don't love Jesus enough? What if I don't stay committed enough? What if I don't have faith enough? What if I'm not strong enough? What if I'm I'm just tired? What if I'm just not enough? Matthew would direct our attention elsewhere and ask us to open our ears and hear the voice of Jesus saying, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We must look away from ourselves and look to Jesus. Will you ever love Jesus enough? No. But He loves you enough. Will you stay committed to Jesus enough? No. But He stays committed to you Will you have enough faith in Jesus? No, but He has enough grace for you. Are you strong enough to hold on to Jesus? No, but He's strong enough to hold on to you. Will you grow tired and weary at times? Yes, but Jesus does not grow faint and is forever mighty. My friends, Jesus, Jesus is alive. You will not be enough, but He always will be. Therefore, we have no reason to be afraid. What's your fear? Look, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. What does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. Friend, Jesus is alive. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us. Lord, we all walk in with different kinds of challenges and fears and troubles and anxieties. Different kind of heartaches and, and just pressures, Lord. And, and so all of us can be tempted to fear in different ways. And I pray that instead of listening to those voices that accuse in our head, those voices that, that just say things that you're not, we're not worthy enough or that we are just so horrible that there's no way we can be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to listen to those voices. I pray that we would be people of the word who recognize that Jesus always does what he says. He said he would come back, and he did. So these promises that we have in the Bible, we can hold on to those. Those are ours. And we know that he will never disown us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would comfort us with these words. I pray if there's any in here who do not know you, if there are any watching, Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would move on their, their mind to recognize what they need most of all is Jesus. I pray that that fear they carry inside would push them to you. I pray that they would stop trying to pretend like they have everything together and humble themselves and just come to you and ask for help. For us that are Christians, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be people who carry fears around. I pray that we would be more convinced by your resurrection than by our fears. I pray we would be a people confident that because our Savior lives, our fears can die. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And we ask for help. And we're really grateful that you're still alive. In your name we pray. Amen.